And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin. And Andrew is founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. He's also an ordained minister and a cultural theologian. He's committed to applying historic biblical Christianity to the contemporary world. And he has other specialties. But, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you, Dan. I'm uh, always happy to be on and appreciate the, the work that you do. We sometimes carry some of your sermons or teachings on our evening program, Proclamation, and usually we target that for a Wednesday night. So, dear listener, possibly you've heard P. Andrew Sandlin on the air before. Many, many things we can talk about. But first, uh, I know that you've been working hard at traveling back and forth a couple of times, giving lectures and joining a group of people. I think it's the Ezra Institute, and they opened up a new building or something. And maybe we could start just by talking about what God is doing with that group that you're a part of there. Yes, good point, Dan. I appreciate it. So um, CCL is uh, partnering and training with the Ezra Institute, which is in uh, the Niagara area of southern Ontario. In fact, it's not actually that far across the border from the U.S. Uh, it's led by another cultural theologian, a man of God, Joseph Boot, who is committed to the application of God's Word and all of life. Ezra has been around, I think, since about 2008 or nine, but uh, God has provided, in what's, I think, nothing short of a miracle, um, a new venue for their ministry. Um, a faithful donor there, a wealthy donor, has uh, purchased for them a uh, $5 million manor house on 25 acres uh, overlooking the uh, on the uh, Niagara Escarpment, uh, overlooking uh, Lake Ontario. It's just spectacular. Uh, the previous owner was an unbeliever but kept the house in uh, gorgeous condition. Uh, when I say house, of course, I'm, the house is closer to uh, Downton Abbey's, you know, not quite that big, of course, <laughs> but closer to that than you and I would think of a house. It's got a number of bedrooms, a 100-person uh, meeting room, um, with all windows and classrooms, and uh, it's just really remarkable. Anyway, as a result of that uh, and uh, a previous vision, this property given fully to the Lord. In fact, it's the property itself is called Center for Reformational Culture. And um, I spoke at three events this summer. We'll be having at least three, God willing, uh, every year, every summer, as well as some event, uh, events there throughout the year. One, uh, the marquee event is called the Runner Academy, named after Evan Runner, noted uh, Dutch theologian, committed to the vision of applying the faith and culture. It's a, two, as I said, two-week program for uh, Christian adults ages 19, about 19 to 39, and it's rather, rather intense. It's actually uh, 60 hours of classroom lectures and talks on everything from uh, the biblical view of the covenant and covenantal interpretation to uh, worldview issues like uh, cultural Marxism and uh, what does a Christian philosophy of education look like, uh, what about the authority of the uh, Old Testament law, what about eschatology, uh, what about economics? Um, what about uh, the environment and issues of so-called climate change? And that's just touching the surface, Dan. Um, now, in saying 60 hours, don't get the wrong idea. There's still plenty of time in the afternoon for 
just great fun time. Imagine 25 beautifully wooded acres and lighted tennis courts and basketball and all sorts of other things. And it's also actually a working farm. In fact, I heard before I left, they're having 200 fruit trees delivered this year. And uh, sort of we have a philosophy of not just intellectual, sort of a narrow intellectual work, but also physical work and working with the land. But it's just remarkable. Oh, that's um, really good. Yeah, having said that, Dan, one the one main point I want to make, I mean, I thank God for this remarkable opportunity and all the young people that came to Runner, but to see the quality of young Christian adults that are hungry for the Word of God, hungry for a message far beyond the simple Jesus and me message we often hear that, you know, have your private time with Jesus and stay close to Him and attend church. That's true, of course, but they're hungry for something larger in a culture that is assaulting um, the foundations of the faith and the foundations of the family and the church and, and uh, the Bible and so on. Uh, they'll also, I'll mention quickly, uh, for younger students, it's the Worldview Leadership Camp, another week for 14- to 18-year-olds. I was profoundly impressed by these young folks that came who had a good basic knowledge. Uh, I'll tell you a, a story here if you have time, Dan. It's really a blessing to my heart. There was a young man there, 15, uh, he worked, he volunteers for a pro-life organization there, and uh, someone had mentioned his name to me. I happened to be sitting at lunch with him. There's a large lunch table there, of course. It's a fairly large event. And I asked, so so I heard something happened to you. He says, yes. He says, I was assaulted at a peaceful pro-life march. Right. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I was marching and holding a sign, and a 39-year-old man, later discovered to have been 39, came up, assaulted me, kicked my arm and leg, injured my elbow very badly. The young man, 15, was smart enough to have his phone on and uh, was recording it, and so the man was immediately arrested. And the organization, and you're going to press it just for the sake of biblical justice. Um, I was just so impressed with this young man who was willing to take a beating for the faith, and um, remarkable. But having said that, I, I said all of that, Dan, to set up. So we were talking, and after this, 15-year-old, he says, could you explain to me Hegelian dialectics? 15-year-old, by the way. <laughs> so I thought, these are really some sharp young people, uh, just depressed by their questions. Then the final event was, a, a, in fact, it was last weekend, I believe, or the weekend before that, last weekend, I think. It's called the To Give an Answer weekend. This is for essentially 17, 18, 19-year-olds who are just getting ready, late August, just getting ready to go off to college. Every single one of them is going to a state school. It's sort of like a crash course in Christian uh, worldview and apologetics, I spoke on two things. One, a critical theory of cultural Marxism, the Frankfurt School, and two, on uh, the Christian philosophy of science and the attack of modern Darwinism. They were all ears, asked excellent questions. So um, that's kind of a long answer, Dan, but that'll give you an idea. I hope that uh, any of your listeners that have maybe uh, parents, grandparents would like to sponsor young people to go to these can go online, just check out they can contact me at the Center for Cultural Leadership. We'll get the website at the end. Or just check the Ezra Institute in Grimsby, Ontario. Go to the website. Uh, and um, there are plenty of sign-up forms. To All of the programs um, are supplemented, um, and there are a number of scholarships available. So uh, the cost is it's not prohibitively expensive. Uh, the food's catered and uh, you know all night, great facilities, top-notch facilities, great teaching. So anyway, that's a long answer to your excellent question, my friend. Thank you for giving me the time to, to give that answer. Well, I appreciate that. 
it looked like a lot was going on. You, once in a while, you would post something on Facebook. And so at this, the Ezra Institute, that's a parallel institute. Um, you, you run the Center for Cultural Leadership. Yes. And Joseph Boot is associated with the, with Ezra. And then um, right. some some very wealthy person blessed the Ezra Institute with this with this large property and a and a manor house and so they've um, dedicated this to the Lord's work apparently and and now you have um, they have there and you're part of it the Runner Academy the Worldview Leadership Camp uh, and then to give an answer and uh, your focus is on. The younger among us, um, the Runner in, uh, Academy, I think you said ages 19 to 39. Um, That's right. The Worldview Leadership Camp, ages 14 to 18. And then um, to give an answer, to prepare the kids that are going into college, ages 17 to 19. Um, that sounds like wonderful training, and these are these are optimum ages um, and and the kids that the Lord is sending you are extremely thoughtful kids. What an encouragement this is! It's a remarkable encouragement, particularly uh, Dan. Of course, we often hear a lot of negative comments today about the millennials and so on, and some of those comments are well justified. But uh, amid that, to see those of these age groups and the uh, hunger for the truth, and uh, just have students come up afterwards. And just pepper me with questions, uh, thoughtful questions. How do I apply this here and there? And uh, what about in economics? And uh, what about in the issue of education? A whole lecture on art. What about modern art and entertainment? And the uh, the uh, assaults on the faith and entertainment and apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, and great names that some of your listeners will certainly be aware of: Abraham Kuyper, of course, and Herman Bavinck, and Herman Duvier, and Van Til, and others. Those who have given a great deal of thought to the impact of Christianity on culture. So sort of inculcating all these young people with this vision, all, by the way, not heady, I would say, um, with a with a heart given to God, with a profound devotion and a passion for God to see his kingdom advance. It's a remarkable encouragement. Um, in fact, it's, and remember that a lot of these students are the cream of the crop, but even to see them there, uh, so many of them, it's just a remarkable encouragement when oftentimes, even in our own churches, we see young people and younger adults that are not very enthusiastic about the faith. These young people were very enthusiastic about the faith, and it was a massive encouragement. <laughs> it thrills me. Um, now, I'm going back a little bit to um, your website, um, Christian Culture, um, CCL, Center for Cultural Leadership. Um, yes. And you have... Um, kind of a blog set up or something here, and I'm thinking maybe as we, you know, the second half of this interview, we could talk about a couple of these subjects. Um, you can pick what you want, but, you know, at the top I see the danger of pilgrim theology. What's that all about? Yes, I'm, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I'd kind of forgotten. Yeah, so um, I had the idea for that from uh, some reading I'd been doing, there is a popular idea among good conservative people that uh, the Christian life, uh, because of certain texts in the Bible, uh, notably the patriarchs and some things that Peter says in the New Testament, is a pilgrimage. We're pilgrims and uh, aliens and strangers and so on. 
Their interpretation of that is often that this world is not our home. And, you know, as the old gospel song says, we're sort of just passing through treasures laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so uh, basically our life here is very temporary and it's in preparation for a heavenly life up away from the earth in an eternal state. And this life is nothing but a pilgrimage in a place that uh, where God is simply capturing a few souls here and there. Oh, yeah, I hear that um, all the time. That that's a, that's a very popular view right now. It is a prominent, prominent view. Well, uh, though we don't have time now to go into the exegetical details, um, I think you'll find out when you when you see how the Bible uses those words, Greek and Hebrew, that are translated like uh, pilgrim or um, alien or stranger. They don't mean quite what a lot of people believe. What they essentially mean is someone who at a particular time is traveling among someone of a different family or a different country. I mean, this is obviously true of the, of the patriarchs when they were traveling around and then Canaan at the time, Abraham who was among people that were not his own people. Uh, in, in Peter, the term is used of those who are uh, often Jews, maybe a few Gentiles that are among unbelievers. So the view there is more the notion that we uh, these particular individuals are traveling among unbelievers in a sinful world. But it does not mean that the world itself, that human history itself, is an alien country or an alien world, or that we are strangers in God's world. So to put it, I think, in a very fine point would be to say, we are strangers, pilgrims, and aliens in the satanic world. That is the system under Satan's control that is vying with, that is a that is uh, grappling with the Lord and trying to attack his system. But we're not strangers and pilgrims and aliens in God's created world, the world we're living in. Uh. That puts quite a different spin on it. So uh, the notion that we sort of are living this life just to get away from it, just to be faithful in a very bad time and get away and escape from it, is not a biblical view at all. The world is the Lord's. The created world is the Lord's. And, of course, Satan is also here. God's permitted him for a time to... Uh, attack the faith and attack God's people, and among them we are strangers. But this is the Lord's world. So pilgrim theology, and I must say, uh, this is kind of the viewpoint of John Bunyan's otherwise wonderful classic. Pilgrim oh, sure. Classic. Of course, the young man is called Christian, and he's kind of walking through a world, dangers and snares everywhere, and that part of the book is correct. We have to be careful on all sides for Satan and his attacks, but the view that he gets, of course, he moves on on to the celestial city after he crosses the river of death. Well, that's not quite what the Bible teaches. Right. Uh, the Bible in Revelation says that in the eternal state, that the new heaven, there will be a new heavens and new earth. New, not meaning completely new, but renewed. We might say resurrected, kind of fused. Um, the notion that you know, in the future, we die and go, go up to heaven to live with God in eternity is not what the Bible says. It's that God comes down. <laughs> to live with man on a renovated earth. Uh, that vision, of course, is quite in, in harmony with the uh, first Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 and uh, the cultural mandate. So um, to bring that part to a close, the danger of pilgrim theology is in seeing this life as a pilgrimage and this world and history as a pilgrimage. That's not the biblical view at all. We are in a pilgrimage in Satan's world, that is the aspect of the created world that Satan is attacking. So among unbelievers, we are pilgrims. In other words, we don't 
as to, to use the metaphor differently, we don't put down our stakes, of course, in Satan's world. God wants us passing through that sure. and opposing it, leaving it. But we do put down our stakes in the created world because our goal is to influence the world for Jesus Christ. That's the danger of pilgrim theology. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I, I think that's more, it's more real, um, and it's, and it's yeah. very biblical, and it helps us embrace the world and say, yeah, yeah, God owns this, and uh, he, has a, yes. he, has a, he has goals for me. He has work for me to do here as he, as he uses me and you uh, to, to glorify him and to enjoy him. Um, we're talking today with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, and uh, he's founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. He's also an ordained minister. He's a cultural theologian, and he uh, travels a good deal um, back and forth, giving uh, talks to people, groups of people. And um, most recently, it's been at the Ezra Institute, which is in Niagara, uh, South Ontario. But, um, Andrew, uh, one more thing that I'm finding on your blog, just as my eye drops down to the next topic is um the thinning of the church the thin ah, the yeah. thinning of the church that that catches my eye what do you mean by that yeah i pointed out in that article i heard my colleague cco colleague brian matson talk about um uh, a christian thinness in the arts that is not having a robust and full view of the arts and of course handing it over to satan uh and those who support his worldly viewpoint. And I thought, well, that's also true of the Church. So I speak of the thin Church as one that's not substantial. And I think I make several points there. Uh, just briefly, um, one of them is often in leadership, uh, Dan. We more and more uh, see Church, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about liberal, unbelieving churches, but actually many conservative, evangelical, and conservative denominational churches, the leadership is more committed to a CEO model. Uh, they want to hire a man who is, uh, or the, in some cases, the woman, as the case may be, who is better at leading, building a, building, um, a large and thriving machine, as it were, getting more people in and having more programs. Nothing per se wrong with that, but that's not the principal responsibility of the pastors, shepherds, and elders in the Word of God, which is prayer and the ministry of the Word. Uh, And because of that, the church often, because the leadership is thin and is not deep in the Word and deep in theology, deep in prayer, so of course you can't really expect most of the congregation to rise above leadership. So there's a real thinness because of that. I also point out that there's a thinness in the message uh, many churches, because they're so concerned to get more people in, they're constantly speaking at a very sort of elementary level. Uh, the interesting thing about that is the New Testament itself, in at least two places, does not look kindly on that. Writers in Hebrews and also Paul kind of chide uh, those that uh, are listening that he must speak with a very, very milky substance. In fact, Peter also uses that language. A milky substance when there there should be more more meat of the word, but when you're fed, of course, only on milk, people remain vague. So there's not a lot of uh, deeper teaching, rigorously biblical teaching, and therefore the church remains thin. And then another thing I pointed out, Dan, was the um, the music in the church. And I know that's a sensitive topic: the so-called worship wars, 
and uh, I'm sure that there are good people on both sides. But I must say that a lot of modern music uh, is uh, quite superficial. And uh, if you look at the uh, lyrics, you can see it. And um, one real problem, Dan, that I want to mention, one real problem is that a lot of the music isn't singable. So we have in a number of churches what I facetiously call the laser light show Oh yeah, on Sunday mornings. And uh, you have a few, you have a praise band leader and a number of folks up there who are singing music. And in many cases, it's as though the audience is spectators. Right. Uh, They can't really sing the music. They're there to watch the professionals. Now, there's an interesting irony here. This is, these are mostly Protestant churches, and these are some of the same Protestants who really enjoy attacking Roman Catholics because Roman Catholics uh, different viewpoints they disagree with, and as mm-hmm. a Protestant, I would agree. But that whole notion, that whole model of music is actually closer to the older Roman Catholic model than the Protestant model. I mean, the, the Roman Catholics were much into Vespers and much into professionals who would sing very well, and oh, whatever yes. your viewpoint is on that. That was Well, now you have Protestants today, Protestants today who otherwise really just, in fact, probably go overboard in criticizing Roman Catholics, have nonetheless adopted this viewpoint. The early uh, Protestants were much into congregational participation in music, that the congregation singing aloud to the Lord. But right. a lot of these songs today are just—they're not written so <laughs> that uh, so that the congregation can sing them aloud to the Lord. I mean, there's a reason, one reason, that Amazing Grace, for example, and similar songs are considered classics. They're singable. Yes, they're easily sung. But a lot of the music today uh, is not easily sung, and that's even apart from the superficiality of the lyrics. So um, I think those are some ways that the Church is, is quite thin, thin in its prayer life, um, mm-hmm. superficial in its approach to um, the vision of the Church. The vision of the Church is to extend the kingdom of God. A lot of churches are, if I might say so, sort of organizationally incestuous. Their goal is just to get bring more and more into the Church, and the Church is not to look outward to extend the kingdom of God. So in these ways, the Church has become very thin, and I think I begin the article by saying that I don't know, and certainly in my lifetime, and probably in the last 80 years, I don't know of a time when the Church has been held in lower regard in the wider culture. Uh, And of course, sometimes it should be held, because it's standing for the truth, but many times, sadly, it's rightly held in low regard because of the sexual scandals, financial scandals in the Church, the superficiality of the Church. Sure. There was a time when the minister uh, was known as uh, the true sort of spokesman um, in the town and uh, was something of a, of a uh, girthy thinker. He was asked about his opinion on uh, prominent uh, issues that came up in the town. That rarely happens today because the Church is held in low regard, and as I said, sometimes rightly in low regard. So those are some of the problems with the sinning of the Church, I think, that I mentioned, and uh, they are serious problems. Yes, that's very helpful, and I, I would encourage our listeners to look you up online. I'm I'm reading, th- this is found at DocSandlin.com, I believe, DocSandlin.com. Yes. And yeah. um, in the last two minutes remaining, why don't you give our listeners your web address, and uh, perhaps there's a book that you would like them to get and read and uh, and learn more. Thank you so much, Dan, for giving me that opportunity. So you can learn more about the Center for Culture Leadership at christianculture.com. Just, that's all written solidly as though it were one word, 
christianculture.com. My blogging goes on at docsanlin.com. That's written again, one word, as though it were one word. At thechristianculture.com, you can list see all the resources there. I mean, you know, scores and scores of books and booklets and things like that, as well as um, you can find the link to hear a lot of the messages, lectures, and so on. If there's one book that I'd like to recommend in today's climate, Dan, I hope that they can go there and order a book called The Christian Sexual Worldview. Uh, it's just five short chapters. It's easy to understand language, a lot of Bible showing what the Bible teaches about biblical sexuality and applying it. We live in a time uh, even worse than the 60s. I mean, the sexual revolution is rarely identified with the 60s, but what has happened even in the last 10 years has been to twist a beautiful thing, uh, God's great gift of sexuality, and to use it to destroy God's creational standards. So you, I would recommend that they get that book. It's, I think it's only 80, 90, 100 pages. It's not long the, and, not, and not expensive. The Christian Sexual Worldview. I hope they can get that and, and read it. You can get it at Amazon also, too, by the way. But thank you. Yeah, ChristianCulture.com and DocSalon.com, and, and, and you'll find links here to take you other places. Uh, that's beautiful. Thank you very much for that book recommendation. Also, The Christian Sexual Worldview. Um, well, this has been great, and it's an honor to talk with you, um, Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. And I hope we can connect in the future and learn more also about these academies and leadership conferences and to give an answer for the young people. Uh, God is doing some marvelous things. And if our listeners want to send, perhaps they have a young person, want to get them involved in this this wholesome, excellent, high-class training, um, just contact us here at the station and we'll feed your information on to uh, Dr. Sandlin and you can get in touch that way. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. It's always a privilege. I'll come on anytime I can. God bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. 